Amen. You may be seated. If you have your Bible with you, I do invite you to turn with me this morning to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 18 to 31 together. And in uh, the Sunday in between 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, I thought it would be uh, good for us to take a moment and to consider a very important topic, and that topic is wisdom. In fact, what is true wisdom? What does it look like? What does that mean? There's a lot of people in this world who would consider themselves wise, that would consider themselves knowledgeable. It seems it's not very difficult to become an expert in anything nowadays. You can look at people's credentials and just go, wow, that's really neat that you claim to be an expert in that. But what does that mean? We've lost this, this idea of, of true knowledge or true wisdom. And so as a, as a corrective, I found this passage and find us here this morning. You know, the dictionary defines wisdom as the ability to discern or of pertaining to knowledge. And that is a pretty good definition. I would say that they found it in Proverbs 1.7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be claimed to be foolish. And so let us discover wisdom together. And we're going to do so by taking time this morning thinking about the church in Corinth. Now, this is one of the churches planted by Paul on a missionary journey. He cared for them very much. However, they were dealing with some extraordinarily serious issues. So much so that you can divide the book up by the issues that they were facing. And today we're going to be in the first section of the first book dealing with the first issue. And that is the issue of divisiveness. See, the church was tearing itself apart because even amongst the Christians, they all claimed superior knowledge, superior wisdom, and were using that to combat one another. And it was eating away at the unity and at the gospel itself. Different types of theology, different types of beliefs, claims to better or preferred baptisms, all were pouring into this idea of superiority. But Paul reminds the church and reminds us as an extension, we're all united under the banner of Christ. That is our true source of wisdom. And it's with that I invite you to look with me as we read God's word this morning. Let's pay attention carefully and see if we can't come out all the wiser. The word of the Lord for us from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'll begin in verse 18 and read to the end of the chapter. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God 
through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and a folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jew and Greek, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is, it is, as it is written, let one who boasts, boast in the Lord and in he alone. The grass may wither and the flower may fall, but the word of the Lord will stand forever and it will accomplish everything he has set out for it. Now let us go to him and ask his blessing upon this time. Our Lord and our God, we admit our lack of wisdom before you this morning. Make us wise. We admit our status before you. We submit ourselves to you as our Lord and our Master as our Savior, and as our Father. Help us, teach us, grow us to be more and more like you, that we might rid our sinful hearts and our sinful desires and our cares for this world. Father, there is so much divisiveness going on in society today. I pray that you would help us see that unity will only come in the, under the banner of the gospel under the shed blood of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of sins. Help us, above all people, to champion that, to offer to this world what it desperately needs, which is you and you alone. Be with us now. Open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts so we might receive your word with gladness. We pray this all in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Now, there's an age-old problem that can be traced back to the very beginning. We as human beings like to think that we always know what is best and wisest. In fact, couldn't you really say that the first temptation and the first sin was about wisdom? Surely God didn't mean, don't you want to be like God? It was that moment of recognizing our shortcomings and, and how we can be more I believe, led Adam and Eve to eat of the forbidden fruit. You know, I can remember a story growing up that my father told me. He is a land surveyor and has met many interesting people in the woods of Mississippi and Alabama, Florida, and Tennessee. On one occasion, he was marking boundary lines. And so one of the primary jobs of surveyors is marking land, separating this section from this section. And he was tasked with putting metal T-posts in the ground, just metal rods that you put into the ground to designate difference. As he was doing so, he came upon this cabin in the woods. 
and he saw a man on the front porch with a shotgun. My father perked up at this and waved to the man in a friendly manner. And the man looked at him and said, I know what you're doing, sir. You're putting satellites in these woods. The government's been after me for some time, and they're going to they're gonna find me. Well, I'm not going to let you do that. My father is a wise man, and he has an aversion to being shot at. So he said, sir, my job is to put these stakes in the ground, and when I leave, you can do whatever you want with them. I don't care. Let me leave first. My father walked away that day um, in good health, and I'm certain that those stakes fell within the hour. You know, that's a silly-sounding story, which really did happen, by the way. But this man, he was genuinely convinced he knew reality. He understood the situation. He had a grasp on what was going on, and he was going to protect himself with his knowledge, with his information, and with his wisdom. Now, everything worked out okay, and, and no harm came of it. But how often do people today keep that mindset? How often do we see ourselves even act in similar fashion? Well, I know what's best right now. Surely you don't understand. You don't mean it like that. Here, let me give you my knowledge, my wisdom. Let me help you see things from a different perspective because I have the high ground. Paul, in our text, he's addressing a church that was doing this very thing. They were claiming each group, each faction was claiming better knowledge or information. One, because they were baptized by this person, and one, because they learned under this person. But all in all, they were trying to find ways to make themselves separate from each other. And Paul rebukes this behavior. He is quick to not let this stand because it was tearing at the very gospel. He calls the church to repent and shows them it's not through wisdom, but it's through the simple, seemingly foolish gospel message that God unites us and proclaims truth and reveals himself to the world. And by understanding that and that alone, you will see God and you will know true wisdom. And so today, I want to encourage us, I want to challenge us to see wisdom the way God sees it. And I want to do so by looking at three different groups. Three different groups who all have different understandings of wisdom. First, I want us to see the wisdom of the cross. And it's very important that we begin there. Then, to compare that, I want us to look secondly at the wisdom of the world. And then we will end with the wisdom of God's children. And so the cross, the world, and his own children. And in each group, we're going to see a different understanding of what true wisdom is. But let's start where we should, and that is at the cross. Paul begins his address with the gospel. Plain and simple. The good news of Jesus Christ and by doing so, he draws a line in the sand and says, respond one way or another, but you're going to be on one side or other of the line. You can hear the gospel and claim it foolishness. You can find it odd, offensive, or fictitious. Now, this can be because of a whole host of reasons, but primarily in what was going on in Corinth is people are sinful and they don't see the weight of their own sin. 
And since they had a small view of sin, they had a small view of God and of salvation. My Bible classes at HCA, one of my favorite sections, we always did a section of this um, in my class where we explored world religions. And I kind of let the students pick what religions we would study based on what they were interacting with. And one particular class wanted to study Wicca, or um, the Wiccan religion, which is modern-day witchcraft. And it's a fascinating religion. In its heart, it has a love of nature and of the natural world. But one of the biggest stumbling blocks, if you ever interact with someone who is a Wiccan, most of them believe there is no such thing as sin. They really don't have a category for it. In fact, they would go so far as to say, as long as you don't directly hurt someone, what you do is not wrong. And as long as you get away with it, it's okay. Now, that contradicts their own theology, and and they're really good at contradicting themselves, but don't all false religions ultimately fall short But in witnessing to someone who holds to this group, it's really hard to tell them that you need a Savior who died for you because they will look at you and say, what a waste of life. What a needless sacrifice. I'm not that bad. It didn't really have to happen. Poor Jesus. They can't seem to consider themselves bad enough so they don't see the preciousness, the beauty of the gospel. And once again, if we're honest, don't a lot of people think that today? Not just within the theology of the Wiccans. Don't a lot of people today say, man, it's basically good. We're pretty much okay. And then there's this other side of this coin. Maybe you do recognize your sin, but maybe you have too small a view of God. Maybe... Your theology of God says that God started this world, he wound it up like a clock, he put it on the shelf, and he sits and looks at it. He ponders it from time to time, but he doesn't go and touch it, and when it runs out, it runs out. God is passive in the actions of man and mankind. He's not an active participant. And so to think of Jesus as a a God-man sacrifices, that's going against the rules of the game. That's kind of cheating, and it's not fair. Because we're not really that bad. It, it becomes this cyclical, cyclical cycle. It becomes this cycle of argumentation. Where we don't see our shortcoming. And we don't see how great God is. Which puts us in this endless loop of, hmm, I'll figure it out. But not all people are this way. Not all have this understanding. In the same section, he says, yes. The words of God is foolishness to this world. But the cross is the power of God to those being saved. The power of God. God's children are being saved all throughout time. And daily God is adding to the sheepfold. God had started a process from the very beginning that will not be complete until all whom God gave Jesus are submitting themselves and their lives to him. That's why Jesus hasn't come back. Jesus will not come back until every single sheep that God had given has been found, had been collected, had been brought in. And maybe that's because they're not born yet. Maybe that's because they've not heeded the call to the gospel. They're walking this earth here. We don't know, but I can guarantee you All of them have not been brought in or Jesus would be here already. 
power of God. The cross is salvation to those who believe. You know, I'm very blessed and I am so grateful that we are a church that practices weekly communion. Because in 1 Corinthians 11, as often as you eat of this bread and you drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. There's no mistake that we recite this every week. That when we stand before the table, when we stand before you to present this meal, you hear the same message. And some might find themselves going, do I really need that again? Do I need that reminder again? Do I need to be told of my sin and my Savior again? I think I've got it. The answer is yes. Yes, you do. Yes, I do. We need frequent reminders because the power of the cross is salvation to those who believe. What a beautiful reminder. To make this point clear, Paul turns his attention to Isaiah. As it is written, I, being God, will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. You've got Isaiah prophesying about the siege of Jerusalem by Assyria due to the Israelites worshiping God by action and not in truth. The very God that had saved them again and again and again and brought them to deliverance and watched over them and protected them, they had kind of grown stale of. And yeah, they were doing what they were supposed to outwardly, but inwardly, they were living for themselves, their own lives, their own wisdom, their own sense of right and wrong, and God was going to strike them With this captivity. To wake them up. To to bring them back in. And back in our text. Paul can see that the church in Corinth. Is running the risk of this very thing. Happening to them. They were growing lazy. In their worship. You know when people become more interested. In lording their doctrine over one another. As was happening in the church. Worship becomes sick or anemic. We don't have to go but to the New Testament to find this case. Can you think of any one group of people in the New Testament who went through outward actions that seemed holy and righteous, but inwardly were sinful and self-centered? The Pharisees. The Pharisees would claim to you that they're wise. They would claim to you as if they had knowledge. They would claim to be the ones that had understanding while in their hearts they served themselves. The power of the cross is salvation to those who believe. But to those who reject it, it is foolishness. It can't be that simple. It cannot be that easy. It's, that's just that's not enough. We need more. You can find all throughout church history that's what's led a lot of people, a lot of groups astray is that idea that it's got to be more than this. There's got to be more to it. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, do not be like the hypocrites who pray loudly in the temple or on the street corner. They do not do this out of devotion to God, but out of a love of self and a need for recognition. The only thing that we can and we must cling to is the cross. 
And so the wisdom, true wisdom, true understanding is in the simplicity of the cross. That and that alone. Well, how does the world respond? What does the world say when you give them this? What do they uh, rebuke you with? Well, let's look. Verses 20 to 25. The wisdom of the world. And I love what Paul does here. Paul does something that Jesus does quite often, and they do it well. Just ask questions. If you ever want to trip somebody up, if you ever are in a debate, start asking them either questions about what they believe or ask them questions about what they just asked you. You can really get them spinning, and it'll, it'll derail them very quickly. We take it from Jesus and from Paul. Where are the ones who think they're wise? Show of hand. No, don't do it. But like you can almost see him saying it like, where are the wise? Where you at? Wise people, hello. You know, Paul paints a pretty clear picture here that in delivering this, if he was there with them, they probably wouldn't have raised their hands. <laughs> they probably wouldn't have responded. Because what is he going to say? The wise can't save themselves. God brings salvation through the simple act of reading and preaching the word of God through the power of the Holy Spirit, not out of their wisdom. Now, let's be honest. We could think of some creative ways to get things done. One of my favorite memories at seminary, I was taking covenant theology with Dr. Ligon Duncan. And he said, you know, if it was up to me, I could redo this whole salvation thing. He said, if all it took was water, I would go to the mall. And I would find that water fountain that seems to be at every mall. And I'd wait for somebody to come by. And Dr. Duncan, if you've never seen him, he's a big towering man. He's very intimidating. And he said, I would tackle them. And I would, as I'm pushing them into the fountain, I would say in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And as I drug them out of the water, they would believe. And we all loved that story. And we love telling it as students. But that's not how it works. That's not how... This process works. It's far simpler than that. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. There it is. The wisdom of the cross, the wisdom of God, the wisdom of salvation is what? Belief. Belief in Him and what He has done. But to this world, it's foolishness. And there's something very beautiful here. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach. Paul's talking about himself here. He's saying, even I am prone to foolishness. And yet God uses that to proclaim the truth, to proclaim the message, to get the words of wisdom to the people. God grants belief to imperfect people hearing imperfect messages about the perfect word of God. And thank the Lord for that. You know, it culminates in this section in in verse 22. Christ crucified is a stumbling block to Jews and a folly to Gentiles, which, by the way, encapsulates everybody. There's Jew and then not Jew, so that's all of us. How could the king of the people die and yet still reign? You Christians, you've got a really weird understanding of lordship. You had a king, and then he died. He's supposed to have a kingdom, but it's not here. You have followers, but they don't follow the king. Like, what's going on, Christians? This doesn't make sense. This is foolishness. Well, it is, isn't it? If you look at it from the world's perspective. 
Paul attacks these types of questions by reminding us that that's how foolish people will always see it. Without the illumination of the Holy Spirit, Scripture does not make sense, will not make sense, and cannot make sense. I know you are like me in that you have probably shared God's Word with someone, only to have them look at you like you're speaking another language. I get what you're saying. I appreciate what you're trying to tell me, but there is no way that's accurate. That cannot be true. That is the craziest story I have ever heard. And maybe you have pleaded with these people. You have begged these people, just see the truth. Here it is. But at the end, it just becomes another stumbling block for them. They tell you, they walk away, it's, say it's craziness. But I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll let you in on a secret. Sometimes God takes his truth, and when the world claims it to be craziness, and he takes it not as a stumbling block, but as a pebble. And he takes it and he puts it in the shoe of that person. And they walk and they hear it rattling around. Or they walk and they'll put a little bit of pressure on that right spot. And like, man, that, that, would, that didn't make any sense. Oh, those silly Christians. Why? Why? No. And it just it keeps coming again and again and again. And it may be unto them that you sharing the clarity and the truth of God's word and them claiming it to be foolishness, the very thing that God uses to bring them to himself. Because the most beautiful thing I can tell you, dear brothers and sisters, the world claims knowledge and it claims wisdom and it is foolish. It is not wise. But God uses even that. And that's the wisdom of the cross. Even the foolishness of the world God uses. We're simply called to be faithful to God's word, to love him, to love others, and to proclaim it as often as we have opportunity and then let him use it however he will. To bring his people to himself. Romans 10, 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him in whom they've never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. As a pastor, I take great comfort in this passage. I will admit this passage brings me great joy because the gospel is not in words of wisdom. It's not in eloquent speech. All you've got to do is replay any of these sermons to hear that, at least hear it from me anyway. It's in simplicity. It's in the truth of the life of Jesus Christ. The power of God. The cross for us. The power of God to be saved is through the cross. That takes a lot of pressure off of us, doesn't it? Because I know myself. I will speak for myself. I know that I'm prone to a clever thought occasionally. And I would like to think that my wit and my skill and my ability to proclaim truth is what win people over. And yet I couldn't say circular ten minutes ago. I, the Lord often frequently reminds me of my shortcomings. And I have to find myself in passages like this. It's not in words of wisdom. It's not an eloquent speech. It's foolishness to the world, but to those being saved, it is the gift of God and it is life. Brothers and sisters, please do not grow weary of proclaiming the truth of God. Please do not fear saying it right, getting it right, 
having exactly the answer to every argument, to every reason, to every rationale that they offer. We're just called to be faithful. We're called to be obedient. And the world will look at us and call us foolish. Well, then so be it. When a fool calls someone else foolish, you just disregard it. Because we know that true wisdom comes from God. And he gives it to his people. And we see that in our final section. We transition from the world back to God's very children. To us, Christians. And Paul particularly speaks to leaders in this section, but it applies to all of us in the church. In verses 26 to 31, I believe he really does tell us what it is like to be faithful to him. And he warns us to be careful. The Corinthian church was full of sinners, make no mistake. Sexual immorality, temptation related to food and to the Lord's Supper, false teaching on the resurrection are just three of the many issues that the Corinthian church was facing in the time of this letter. Paul says to them, to that group of people, Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. And not many were powerful. Not many are of noble birth. Do you get what he's saying? He's really bringing them down to ground level, isn't he? He just went through a section of how wise the world thinks it is. And then he says, not many of you even met that standard. You were below the wisdom of the world, which is way below the wisdom of God. That's where you are. You were ordinary, average people who need what? God. Now, not everyone in the church was engaging in these practices, but it was bad enough that he had to write this letter, the next letter, and make at least one visit to them to wake them up, to shake them out of their sleep. Because even we, the people of God, can be prone to our own wisdom. We can be prone to our own ideas, to our own material. Yes, Lord, I I know that the gospel is what we need, but if we we could add to that, if we could put this program in place, if we could use that in this way, and quickly, if we're not careful, it can be, Lord, this is how people are saved through our programs that we use the gospel in. When in reality, the truth is, and the simplicity of it is, is no, we're saved through the gospel the gospel truth. And if we are able to do programs, they should be subservient to, secondary to that message, to that truth. Not many of you are wise. We have to be very careful of this. And, and for some reason, especially in our theological tradition, in Reformed theology, we, above all people, are, are prone to uh, creating towers of wisdom. We called it ivory tower theology in school. It's a tendency that we seem to have to get so involved in the pursuit of knowledge that we forget our knowledge should affect practice. We learn so that we can do better. Theology must cause doxology. Our understanding of God must cause praise and response to God. It doesn't just build itself up on its own or else we find ourselves on a pedestal with no one around us and not able to interact with or reach the other people. 
It's not for us to hoard as much as we can. Think of mythological dragons. I don't know how much you're into to, um, that type of lore, but dragons were known for getting all the treasure they could find. And did they spend it? No. Did they use it to gain power? No. They hoarded it together, then laid on top of it and went to sleep so no one else could have it. This is my treasure, and I will lie on top of it. They didn't even use what they had, the wealth they had acquired. And we must not be like that. We must not gather knowledge, gather information, consider ourselves wise, and then sit on top of the mound and challenge anyone to come forth. Simplicity. Gospel truth. This is foolishness to the world. And I love what Paul does. He says it's intentional that God chose that which is foolish to shame the wise. See how he's come full circle? He just called us all foolish. And then he says, and, and God chose foolishness to shame those who claim themselves wise. And what does that do? It does something very, very special for us. It makes us certain that it's not us. It guarantees that it's not us, it's God. And it has to be that way. Everything we have is a gift of God. This especially goes for gifts of leadership and of teaching, our knowledge. And the Corinthian church, they were forgetting this. And it was very serious, so much so that Paul wrote these two letters and made another visit. And my prayer for us as a church is that we don't act this way. The world would have you do this. The world would say, yes, that is the way to go. That is the way to live. That is the way to act. The cross, those Christians, that's all foolishness. Don't listen to that. Listen to us. We know what is good. You need to make decisions that impact you because you are smart enough. You do not need anyone else, certainly not God. But Paul is proclaiming a different message here. Paul says, because of God, you are in Christ. And who is Christ? Christ is our wisdom, our righteousness, our sanctification, and our redemption. All that we have comes from God through the work of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. We can only share that which we have been given. The Corinthians were on a path to forgetting this truth. So I ask you this morning, are you resting in Christ today? Is he your source of wisdom and in truth? And look at the world, dear brothers and sisters. In this time of pandemic, in this time of chaos about us, about in this world, isn't this what it needs to hear? Not disunity, but unity. Not hate, but forgiveness. Love, but love rightly placed. Not in ideas, not in perspectives, in God that divides, not people, but it divides wisdom from foolishness, truth from uncertainty, absoluteness from falsehood. It brings us together. We are called the body of Christ. The hand cannot say to the foot, I have no need of you. The eye to the ear, what are you doing? You serve no purpose. 
For the body needs all of its members to function. And that is God's wisdom. It is very dangerous to stake it all on our own minds. I hope and pray that we understand that compared to the wisdom of the cross, the wisdom of the world, and even our own intentions to wisdomness, our wisdom can be foolishness. And praise the Lord for that. But at the same time, we are called to study God's word, to commit ourselves to Christian living, and to grow in wisdom. We can be wise. No, the, the thrust of this message has been beware wisdom in some ways, but true wisdom is God and God alone, and we should seek that. We should grow in that. We should work together at that because that is the safest place to be, and, and that's what's going to heal this world. That's what's going to bring relief to the tension. That's what's going to bring hope. That and that alone. Everything else is just man-made wisdom put in place. It may work for a season. It may not. But at the end of all things, God and God alone is truly wise. That, my friends, is where we find wisdom. Let's go to him in prayer. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, I shudder to even ask this, Lord, but help us to see our own wisdom. Help us to see those times in our lives when we really do think we know what's best when we really act on our own ambition and our own desire, Lord, show us through your word, through our brothers and sisters, show us where we put ourselves above you. For you are true wisdom. Wisdom is in the simplicity of the cross. Wisdom is in the forgiveness of sin. Wisdom is in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to love one another. Help us to heal this broken world. May we share this gospel message as if our very lives depend upon it. May we share this truth knowing that people will reject it, knowing that people will turn their back to it, knowing people will claim us foolish for even believing it. For who knows when that one conversation, when that one message will be exactly what they need to hear, you do. And so we ask that you give us wisdom in these matters. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for this time of study. Humble us, Lord. Cling us to yourself, and help us to walk as we walk together. We ask all of this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.